0: Welcome to Talks with Trav, with your host, Travis Diamond.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm excited for today's episode. I am joined by Paul Zolman. Paul is a love language linguist. In other words, he is an expert in the language of love, and he is the international best-selling author of the book, Role of Love. Paul, thank you so much for joining, to, joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, if you would kindly just share a little bit about yourself, um, how you came to
0: be a love language linguist, and we can just kind of go from there. Sir, thank you, Trav. I appreciate being on your show. I want to start with something that in the exercise world they call uh, a resistance training, because I think that I learned a lot of adversity in my life before I learned about love. And I think that that negative portion of the life was really kind of a a launching pad for me of wanting something better, hungering for something a lot better. So I wanna start a little bit with my grandfather because I think that what this is, what what it was is a a generational thing, Travis, that I think that what we learn, we learn from our parents and they learned it from their parents and they just keep passing it on, good or bad, they keep passing it on until someone decides enough we're changing this we're going to do something different something just a little bit better we're going to break those chains of that particular tradition we're going to do something better my grandfather was born in indiana and married there and had nine children with his wife after that ninth child was born the wife suddenly passed away he was distraught of course as anyone would be losing their spouse and and having nine children. But when we're in that situation, I don't think that he understood that we really should not make major decisions when we're under a stress of that uh, magnitude. He didn't know know that, I don't think, because he decided he's gonna sell the farm and sell all the equipment. And when people came to pick up the equipment, he said, and would you like this child? Or something like, and would you like this child? would you like this child until systematically he'd given all the children away except for one? He took Benjamin with him after having done that. This is in 1909 or so. After having done that, took Benjamin with him. He goes to Montana, finds a school teacher that had never been married, has 10 more children of which my father's number six of that second 10. So in, in uh, 1932, he passes away, this grandfather passed away. My father's only 10 years old. It's in the depth of the Great Depression. So now you have not only abandonment issues for all 19 children, but you've got now economic issues. My father, 10 years old, probably about fourth or fifth grade, only made it through eighth grade because of those economic times. From eighth grade and eighth grade education, not much you could do except he became a truck driver. And he would be well while i was growing up he was gone through the week and he'd be home on the weekends on every friday night the children would not see their father until till they uh he came home from a date with my mother he never failed trav and i love love this about my father that he absolutely valued women and he never failed i don't ever remember him ever missing a friday date with my mother now on the creative side, he needed a little bit of help. It was always the Maverick Bar, always over alcohol, and I can—I never was there, but I can imagine my mother. And as any couple would, they're—they're they're saying, "How was your week? How was your week?" My mother, starting at the oldest of the children, I'm number ten of eleven. He, so my father kind of is bettering the generation. He didn't have nineteen kids; he only had eleven. He's making it better, Trav. So and I and I and I only had eight. So we're just getting better as we go along here, but as far as bettering tr- traditions, we're just doing doing great. But I can imagine my mother starting at the oldest child, and my father getting annoyed, 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 and boys will be boys. They're all boys except for when it gets to an older sister, right? Older than me, and I have a younger sister. I'm a thorn between two roses, and all the rest are boys. So. The value that he had for women, if I even look cross-eyed at my sisters, I'm get, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. And I'm in big, big trouble because as I saw it, he would get annoyed, 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 annoyed. And then it'd be number 10. He's ready to blow. He's ready to flash and have that flash of anger. And I got the belt or a very severe spanking. And one time I remember the spanking was so severe that I was black and blue for about three weeks. And it was a time period, Trav. That there wasn't the the network that we have today. There was there wasn't. It was like Ghostbusters. Who are you gonna call? And it was just what there was. You didn't know. You thought it was just inside the family. And because it's inside the family, we keep it in the family. And it just came to be that type of culture. Well, at age seventeen, I decided I'm moving out. I'm, I'm leaving this kind of situation. I moved out after my junior year of high school, moved in with my brother. He had two children at the time, and, and he was a great father, just really doing well. But he, I noticed that he also had the same, he would get annoyed, 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 stacking those annoyances until he had a flash. And then I started, I got married, I started having children myself. And I, I noticed I got the same pattern, the same problem. And it's a very awkward Trav, when, when that happens and you're in a public place. It was like a, almost a knee-jerk reaction. You don't know when that anger flash is going to happen. And so in a public place, in a private place, in a public place, it's like my family doesn't even know me. There's nobody around me. Oh, I, I repelled everybody. And it's just very awkward in that c- circumstance. I believe that was a contributory factor of my marriage of 23 and a half years, you know, falling apart. And one one of the factors of it, but I remember at age thirty five, blaming my father, still blaming him for all the social awkwardness, all the all the personal awkwardness of any relationships, just because that's what he taught me. That's and that and it was just it's just so awkward. It just didn't work well within society. He had been dead for seven years already at that time. I mean, I'm still blaming. Him. He doesn't even have a chance to to re- rebut or didn't have the chance to talk about it, sit down and talk with them, let's talk this out or anything like that, didn't have any chance of that. So I started feeling like, now I'm responsible. And so I, I had, from that negative background, i developed obviously negative affirmations that said, I don't wanna be angry. Now a double negative works in math. You can multiply two negative numbers and get a positive number. It doesn't work in relationships. So it wasn't working for me. So after I'm single, that 23 and a half year marriage dissolves and I'm single, I decide I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to just find someone that just really loves me for who I am and, and whether I have to change or not. But I, I realized that that blame game I was playing with my father put me in a position I didn't have to change. It's his fault. It's absolutely his fault. I don't have to do anything because it's his fault. And it's just that blame game will will make you stay right where you're at. You're not going to make any progress at all. Right. But I thought I'd, thought I'd made some progress. And so I thought I'd try this destination dating thing. I had primary custody of the five children that were remaining in the house after the divorce. And on the weekend that my ex-wife had the children, I would have a date. I'd find someone online. pick a, They're living in a different city. They're, and I'm living in a different city. I was living in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. And so so I went to Daytona Beach. I went to Jacksonville. I went to Columbia, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Nashville, Kansas City, New York City, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Cabo San Lucas, and many more other places that I went for this destination dating. It was like the lyrics of that song that I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I wasn't finding a thing. And it's just hard to have that long distance relationship. I thought I had a line on someone trapped when I, when I, and so I moved to Phoenix, didn't turn out. So here I am in Phoenix, all alone. My sister calls me, my older sister calls me and just detects that I'm, I might, I might be a little bit lonely. And of course you deny things when people accuse you of stuff, you always deny it. And, but anyway, she said that, well, I have this neighbor that I want to introduce to you. She was seven hours away from Phoenix. I said, "I don't think so. I don't want to travel seven hours. I don't. I'm done with this destination dating. I don't want to keep that up." And number ten of eleven children, Travis, you don't get a say in a lot of things that go on in the house. She said, "Oh, come on." I said, "Okay." And I decided, well, I'll email this lady. If that's going to placate this my sister, I'll I'll email her. What kind of relationship can you develop an email? So I thought I was safe, but then the email started coming, and she was a great writer. This lady had just had a way and a flair with words. It was just kind of fun, a little banter back and forth. In fact, one of the little times we were bantering, I, 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 I felt brave enough after several letters back and forth, brave enough to ask her, well, how many times have you been married? And she writes back, counting the five that are buried in the backyard? <laughs> it just it made, it just made me laugh. I thought I've got so, I've got a live one here. I've got someone with personality, right? Someone, someone that's got got some little a little spark with her, and so it just became fun like that. And I started going up to visit with her, and and just eventually I moved up to where my sister was here in the Saint George area, and from from that we just became closer. Now it's time for Big Brother approval. So I take this woman up. North 300 miles north to, to my big brother's house, go in there. And the first thing that my sister in law says is that holds her aside and says, The only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up is anger. At first, I did not. I said, Uh uh-uh. uh, then it made me mad. <laughs> I thought, Busted. You know, I, I, I just I played right into her hand and I thought, If there's any time that that perception of the Zolman family could be changed. Now was the time. So I started reading the color code and then settled on the five love languages. I read it four or five times. But I loved the principles. I didn't get the application. Just remember where I came from. It was a, a, a culture of anger. So the, the loving culture d- didn't really resonate, but I liked the principles because Dr. Chapman was a reverend or or pastor. He said that... <clears throat> He said that these love languages reconcile to the life of Jesus Christ, so I wanted to be a little bit more like that. So I thought I'm going to work with this. He suggests Trav that that if I sit, if I guess what your love language is, Trav, and I cater to that, we're going to be buddies. I'm a bad guesser, and it does, it, so that wasn't really working for me. And the second thing that Dr. Chapman has said: Well, if you take this survey then you can find what your love language is. Okay, I did that. What do I do with that information? Trav, what do I say? Do I advertise? Hello, Trav, I'm gifts. What do you have for me today? How are you supposed to tell people and have it not be duty bound and and or, or uh, almost a manipulation in that way? That didn't work for me either. So I thought, you know, one thing about even the dysfunctional family that I had growing up, one thing about it is that We played games occasionally and it brought our family together. We were angry still together. We still had the smack talk. We still had the put downs. We still highly competitive. You can imagine a dinner table with 11 children at a dinner table. How many, how how, is the food going to make it all the way around? You always wonder that. And then are you going to have, is there more for seconds? What if you need more? And it's just, you just take as much as you could. And it was just, it was just, it was just a lot, a lot of trying to, trying to get it. Well, that uh, so the the thing about the the love languages that that um, worked for me is is I, I like those principles. I wanted to contact Dr. Chapman, so I sent him an email. I said, "Are you licensing those those icons?" And he said, his attorney wrote back, and said, "No, they're not doing that." So I went to my attorney, my local attorney here, that uh, was a copyright attorney. He said that theory like the love languages is not copyrightable. Application is. So what I did is I made my own icons and then I made it into a cube. There you see, that has different symbols on it. Each one of these is a picture. As you can see, there's no words on it at all. This one represents service. Those are the words. Time, touch, and gifts. Five love languages, six sides on the die. The last side I created is surprise me. So there's just two instructions, Trav. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all day that day, all day. I was single at the time. so I didn't have, like Dr. Chapman suggests, I did not have a significant other to practice the love language with. For Dr. Chapman, it's more of a romantic thing. For me... It was more of a, a genuine character type of trait that I was looking for. I'm looking for to to uh, looking for a trait to be more loving all the time, to send it out without any regard of it ever coming back. So over a period of thirty days of rolling the die, I learned all five love languages, and I became what what I like to call a love language linguist. I know the know the love languages backwards and forwards. It's a love language linguist is a title everybody wants. It's a sexy title, Trav. I know you want it. You want to put that on your resume. Maybe some of your listeners want that too. Just think of it though. You put it on the resume. You go to that employer. The employer says, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you say, well, I just love people. And and the employer wants their customers loved. And they want a loving environment within the workplace. A hostile environment actually reduces productivity. A loving environment would increase productivity. They absolutely would have that resume rise to the top if you didn't get the job. You, know, right. you become in the running for that particular job. So that's that's kind of the story on the on the die, how it came to be. What I found it did for me is it helped me understand what people like. I'm as I'm rolling and dive, practicing that love language all day that day. I'm watching for people light up. No longer, Trav, do I have to pause the relationship and say, Could you take this survey? So I know how to love you. I'm done with the awkward, absolutely done with the awkward. All you're doing is using your observation skills. And when they light up, that's what they like. So anybody can do that. The second thing, the second thing that happens is that. It gives you that peripheral vision, may not be your primary love language, what you like or how you like to be loved or your secondary love language. But what it does is, well, they're loving on me. You can see it coming your way. They're loving on me. And then you can respond appropriately because you know all the love languages. You can see what way they're loving on you. So it kind of just rounds you out a little bit. I found that doing this just set aside that other behavior that I had. I did no longer was being annoyed at whether people do because I realized I don't have any control over their choices. I don't have a control over their mind. I don't have any control over what they're doing at all. Why should I even be annoyed at it? I'm focused on staying in my lane, focused on sending love out and responding appropriately when it comes my way.
1: Gotcha. So you gave me a lot right there. So I have, I have a few questions for you. Absolutely. Um, so let me see if I can recall them all. Um, how long were you in between, were you single from your divorce to when you started connecting with your sister's neighbor?
0: Uh, probably about four years.
1: Okay. And so that's how long you were destined de- dating?
0: No, I just just did the destination dating for a year and a half.
1: oh, wow. So you traveled a lot,
0: yeah, yeah, well, spent more than ten thousand dollars, yeah,
1: I, I would imagine you're naming all these places at first, you were like, because so, you said Daytona Beach. I'm like, that's several hours from from Charleston, you know, and then you're you just get further and further west. so okay, that that makes sense. um. I didn't. I didn't know people did that. Honestly, I mean, I knew people would like go to different cities, but were you just not interested? Because Charleston's a pretty big place. Did you're you not interested in any girls there? Like you couldn't find anything. Did you try and fail? So you tried elsewhere. Like,
0: what, what happened with that? That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked that question, Trav. <laughs> very very perceptive. But I I wasn't looking there. I was just I was having a midlife crisis, and I was looking for you you when you see it and you can look over the fence a little bit it just looks better on the other side and and it's kind of kind of that that it's that it's greener on the other side of the hill type syndrome that i had and just looking for love all over the place and gotcha not finding a thing so
1: makes sense makes sense so
0: um didn't find anything in charleston understood it's a great place i love charleston i'd love to be back there
1: yeah. I've, uh, I've only driven through there once my wife is a huge fan of trees. So we stopped there to see the angel oak tree. And it's funny because we, we didn't realize there was days it was closed. And of course it's closed on Wednesday, Wednesdays. And we drove through there where she has family in Columbia. So we just took the long route. Oh, um, nice. and we, we drove on the one day of the week that you can't actually go in, up there to the tree. So oh, kind of sad, but you know, it's still, you could see it and everything. It's huge, but, um, then the next question I have, you had mentioned that you, you blamed your, your father for everything and the failing of your marriage, essentially for your, you know, the inability to navigate the things and just dealing with anger. Um, in that time, did you do any self-work? Did you like get any therapy or try to try to look in the mirror and say, what can I do to fix this? Or was, were you just stuck with my dad set me up for failure?
0: Well, uh, and that's that's really a great question too. I I actually, while I was blaming my father for for those awkward situations, all for that anger and everything, really didn't blame the demise of the marriage on him. I actually, okay. I actually blamed myself. Okay. Because, because I I realized at age thirty five, and he has gone gone already. Um. Uh, Seven years, I realized that I'm responsible for my own actions. So I tried to make take a corrective course at that time. We did have some couples therapy individual sure. as well. And it still did not sink in that I was a problem. And I, I really kind of want to relate that back to the, the five love languages because when, when I discovered the five love languages and realized that these are the things that Jesus did in his lifetime, remember Jesus at the Last Supper. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And all of the 12 disciples that were there all came up to Jesus, said, Lord, is it I? And Lord, is it I? And, and even Judas, of course, said said that. And, and as as I thought of that, just that whole phrase, I was thinking in, in any uh, faulty relationship or any problems in life, if we can just say that phrase to ourselves. Lord is it I, and just think and ponder about that. Is it me that's co- that the that is the problem in this situation? And then it, then it the it almost is like the law of attraction mm-hmm. that the solution will absolutely appear. Something will come of just getting to that point, that humble point of saying, "Am I the problem? Is it Lord? Is it I?" And by saying that, it will it it starts you on the track to becoming better and because you'll find out oh yeah yeah it is me nine times
1: out of ten yeah you're the the source of your own
0: misery Uh, nine out of ten that's right yeah every every once in
1: a while there's an outlier but
0: well thanks for your your vote of confidence there (laughs) trap hey
1: don't take it personal it's me too i'm (laughs) it's a universal law i believe um okay well no i appreciate you clarifying that because i the reason i ask is because I shared with you a little bit before we started recording that, you know, my while my dad was present in my life, he didn't do give me a lot to like learn how to be an adult. I knew I had a good work ethic. I knew how to do what I was told. But there's a lot more to being an adult than that, especially when it comes to having relationships. So I had, you know, a few relationships that I didn't want to fail, crash and burn. And it was my fault. And I'm like, what do I do about this? Yeah. So eventually, um, I before my wife and I got together, I was single for seven years. Mm-hmm. And I made the conscious decision to be single, and not even really try to date anyone for the first four or five years, because I said, the only way I'm going to be able to attract the woman that I want to be with is by improving who I am. So I almost immediately looked inward and said, okay, how do I fix myself? Because I'm clearly the problem. My, all my relationships ended because of the same reasons, because of my shortcomings. And it took me a little while to acknowledge and recognize that. Cause I did try to blame other things and people. Well, if I had this, then then, you know, then none of this would have happened, but only when I went inward and said, okay, it's on me. Lord, is it? I, you know, yep. when uh- I had that conversation. So, Um, but I, uh, I read the, the five love languages with my wife. I read it before we got together and then I read it again with her. And it's something that we have used as a tool, um, time and time again. And we've recognized that, like, I recommend it to a lot of people. Anytime Mm -hmm. they're having, you know, relationship issues, I'm like, Hey, are you, do you know what your significant other's love language is? Just something as simple as that, learning how to communicate to them with, you know, without necessarily using words, unless of course their language is words, but um, it's been profoundly impactful. And like I'd mentioned before we uh, started recording, I saw your, your die on um, one of the social media platforms. And I started following your page because I was really intrigued by it. So I have, do have a couple of questions about the, uh, the die and you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, So when my wife and I read, the five love languages together we found a deeper intimacy with with within our relationship um and i would imagine you would get something similar to that from having from using the die so what kind of transformation transformation if you will uh would someone be able to expect um specifically within their romantic relationship but not necessarily only in their romantic relationship
0: great question Trav, and thank you very much for that what I found, remember how I, I described I was being annoyed, 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 and stacking those annoyances until mm-hmm. I actually became angry. And, and it kind of escalated to that point. What I found, Travis, is that by doing the, the love languages and rolling the die every single day, you're stacking kindness upon kindness upon kindness and kindness and kindness until you get to the higher laws of love. So I, I, I term these love languages really as the basis. This should be the foundation for all loving relationships everywhere. And, and regardless of, of, of race, creed, color, language barrier, anything like that, that should be the basis for love all, all around the world. By following those steps and stacking that though, what do you get to? You get to those higher laws, you get to the compassion, you get to the forgiveness. You get to the intimacy, you get to the sympathy, you get to the empathy, you get to the mercy. All those higher laws of love is what this foundation, building upon that foundation, it'll take you there. So that's that's what I found. And that's you know, it's just building a life like that, that Jesus had all the combination of all of them, and it built him to that person that's perfectly charitable. We can get there.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's kind of like the the compounding effect of relationships.
0: Absolutely. I love yeah. That.
1: No, I, yeah. No, I love I love the way you explain that. That makes a lot of sense. I I often tell people um, when you're trying to like win habits or develop habits, you got to stack the the win. Start something small right. and just build and build and build. So same concept, but I've never never thought about applying that concept to a relationship. To connection. So that, that I'm definitely going to be using that. I appreciate you sharing that. That's that's a good one for sure. Um, yeah. And then a couple of other things from the initial uh, from your initial um, statements, the you'd mentioned in the workplace, right? Um, I'm someone who spent six years in leadership with one of the largest healthcare providers in the nation. And I found I read multiple books on communicating and how to understand people's types of communication. Um, so, how I'm I'm very intrigued by this. So, how would you say using the die or reading your book would be able to translate into a leadership role, or even you know, just navigating your team in general? Being whether you're a leader or a team member, how would being able to understand their love language a better benefit your, you and the team?
0: I think that when you're talking about any kind of love, and thank you for that tra- question, Trav. When you're talking about any kind of love, you're talking about uh, a cooperative type of, of of situation that people are cooperating. You're you're sending out goodness; They're, they'll respond to that goodness, and it's just cooperative in that way. When you have a cooperative effort in a in a, a employment situation. That's the time, that's the time that you're going to have productivity. When you have a, a, a hostile or toxic situation, it reduces productivity because you're trying to deal with crisis after crisis after crisis instead of dealing with cooperation. Crisis versus cooperation. I think that's the line that that love would provide that cooperation and hostilities or the lack of love, provides for a lot of crisis, a lot of fires that management like yourself mm-hmm. would have to put out rather than then well let's let's see if I can help this person with their project. I'm done with my work and I it's, it's you're not going to have that attitude. well my my work is 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 something I could do in a day, but I'm going to take five days to do it because I don't see anything else coming my way. instead of having that type of attitude, take, take the day to, to accomplish your project and then go help others on their projects. That's the type of attitude. And that, that can be taught in, within a workplace. To me, that's love in a workplace.
1: Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I, I'm no longer in that position. Um, but I, one of the things I did pride myself in as a leader was leading from the front, showing up when, you know, working, Because when you work in a healthcare setting, the patient volume, because I worked in a hospital specifically, the volume fluctuates. Sometimes it's insanely busy. Sometimes it's slow as molasses. So when it got busy, I pride myself. I would pride myself in finding the one or two things that I could do to prevent the bottlenecking of the rest of the things instead of just starting up at the top and doing it, I would say, okay, let me go down a few. These are going to be 20 minute processes. That's going to delay other things. So I'm going to go ahead and do those now and get Mm -hmm. those out of the way and alleviate that bottleneck from happening. So I, I love that you shared that because I think to your point, when as a leader or even as a coworker, if you show up and don't take the, well, it's not my job approach and take the, we're a team, one team, one dream kind of approach, Everyone gets along better. Now, will there be some people that take advantage of it? Probably. That's you know human nature. The odds are going to have that anyways. Um, but regardless of that, if you're someone who values showing up and helping others, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, and I'm curious about this. You explained how it would work in relationships, whether it's romantic or not, in the workplace. Um, I had a gentleman on the other day, and he was explaining how... He, he was a, um, a Taekwondo instructor and he would go to schools and they asked him to come in and do anti-bullying campaigns. But he said, instead of kind of like you had mentioned, instead of focusing on the negative, which is bullying, he would focus on what's the opposite of bullying kindness. So he would teach the kids and the students how to practice kindness instead of how to not be a bully. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Something similar could be of use in school using your tool, using the die. So what benefit would
0: a school have for implementing
1: your system and your um, your program?
0: Great question, Travis. And, and thank you very much for that. And, and noticing the difference of that, the way I noticed the difference for that is is that I have a little magnifying glass here. And whatever, whatever you magnify is going to grow larger. And even in raising children, I remember as a father raising eight children, remember Getting upset if my children did something wrong. And it's really it was the wrong choice to do that because, because just helping them say, why don't you try it this way? And instead of nurturing that, I would just get upset at what they did that was wrong. And, and it kind of t- tamps down the, even the idea that they wanna, that wanna try. And so they might give up because, because they got, you know, reprimanded right at the very first and, and it was unfortunate that in that way I love that idea of teaching the opposite and I think that that really helped me understand what I what I needed to do and I want to illustrate that just with this this illustration the other day I was out walking and I found this stick it didn't have any bark on it just like it is right now one side of the stick was really smooth and it's you know just really nice the other the other side of the stick has these little points on it just has a little knots on it. It could be really kind of sharp. I call this the naughty side of the stick and the nice side of the stick. I think Santa Claus has a stick just like that. That's how you get your presence trapped. You didn't probably <laughs> know that, but it's a naughty and nice stick. I realized that when my sister in law pulled that woman aside and, and told her that anger was, was the culture of our family, that that was on the naughty side of the stick. And I think that the self actualization that happens, well, that happened at that moment for me was I could do, had three choices. I could stay the same. And the way you stay the same is you blame other people for your problems. It's their fault. So go fix them. It's not me. And I'm good. I'm good. I'm good right where I'm at. And you can make that choice, or you can make a choice, become more angry, or you can make a choice, become more loving. And I felt like, that anger and love on were the opposite ends of the spectrum. When you realize where you're on, where you're at on any spectrum in life, opposites will help you understand where you're at. Mm-hmm. So when when you realize where you're at, at on any spectrum, you can make goals to set it to go either way, whatever way. But until you have that actualization, you can't make any progress. And I hope that answers the question. I really think that that this is something that we're trying to do in the school system what i've done is i have the classroom roll the die at the beginning of the day at the end of the day they get to write what they rolled what opportunities they saw to love and what they did about those opportunities so what happens in that classroom is that now these children first grade i'm working k through six right now because basically they're in the same classroom all day long yeah so those, that, those first graders at the end of the day have to write about how they behaved all day long. What did they do that was loving? Takes two seconds to roll the die in the morning, maybe 30 to 45 seconds for the teachers to say class, we're watching for this type of behavior today. Make, make an, a note, a mental note at the end of the day, we're gonna, gonna write in these journals about it. I've talked with several teachers around the world. The last 10 to 15 minutes of the day, of the teachers said it's non-productive time. The kids have been there all day. They're all antsy. Their brains are mush. They've tried to to cram in as much as they could at the end of the day. They're just tired. They know the bell's going to ring. Take that day to allow some decompressing and decompressing in the way of writing a journal. Mm -hmm. How did I act that day? This is going to help these children understand they're responsible for their own actions. They don't have to wait like I did to age 35 to realize, oh, I'm responsible for my own actions. Now they can do it at age six when they're in first grade or at age 10 when they're in fourth grade. I mean, they can do it at just different increments in that school system. Once they develop the habit of doing that, though, hopefully that'll carry on to the higher school years. I've got a a Yogurtland franchisee here in, in my town that has wanted to cooperate with this program. If these children will write in the journal for 15 days of the month, they'll give them five ounces of yogurt for free. If they'll write 25 days, they'll give them 10 ounces of yogurt for free. So that 25 days, is it's between that sweet spot of 21 to 28 days mm-hmm. that develops a habit. If they get into the habit of being kind, just think what it's going to do. It's going to tamp down a lot of the misbehaving. More learning is going to be going on because it's same like the workplace. They're not the the teacher and the principal is not going to be having to get in there to talk about discipline and to spend a whole lot of time on that because the kids are managing themselves. It doesn't have to be a top down. It's an individual responsibility now. Yeah
1: and 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 to your point about the the habit forming <clears throat> excuse me those ages age groups that you're working with those are the the fundamental ages that you want to instill those types of behaviors because that is when your brain is more susceptible to f- the foundational behaviors and habits that you have throughout your life so when someone in you know elementary school is learning to not just handle themselves with a certain positive behavior, but look for it, you know, to kind of bring in the law of attraction, what you look for, you find, you know, so when you focus on something all day, and you seek it out, you're going to get more of it in your life. So not only are you going to display those positive behaviors more, you were going to receive it more because you were actively searching for it. And the same goes the opposite side. If all you hear is negative stuff and negative talk about how people aren't listening and they're not good and they misbehave, that's all you're going to notice as well. So that's awesome that you're able to work with schools in general, but especially those the youth that is so, um, susceptible to those habit forming behaviors and tendencies. And Hey, you know what, getting some free yogurt out of the deal is not a bad, not a bad shake either. So that's awesome. Um, now you had mentioned that you're working in the schools and building the habits. And from what I'm gathering to me, my brain is instantly like, Oh, this is something that could help someone, if they're dealing with some mental health issues, help them overcome some of them by kind of changing their paradigm and their outlook on life, especially by using the book and journaling out, Hey, these are the good things I saw, because if you're depressed and all you see is the negative side of things, and that's not all what depression is, but that is a factor of it. If that's what you're focusing on and you join this program and you start identifying the more positive things, it seems to me that you would be able to yield better results from that for your mental well-being so I guess my question would be have you talked or shared this with talked to or shared this with any mental health professionals and if so have you received any feedback what would that feedback be
0: great question Trav. thank you uh, the the first endorsement within the book is actually from a mental health professional I I got the copyright for the for the cube in uh 19 oh excuse me 2017. So about six years ago, I had that. That's all I had at the time. Last year, I took it and visited with some mental health professionals in the area. And this one particular mental health professional says, I need to write a manual, I need to write a book about this, because it is quite different from the love languages, even though it incorporates the principles of the love languages. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, the application is quite different. And it's so much easier. So absolutely so much easier and it's fun, it's a game. And it's a game everybody wins. You're, the people that are, you're sending the love out to are gonna win, you're gonna win because you're gonna see that you made their day. That's a happy thing. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to light people up, trying to make their day. And and I think that the, that the mental health profession is starting to take notice of this, that it's quite different. And I think that was some of the problems of, of the Dr. Gary Chapman book with the mental health professionals. And I found several mental health professionals that didn't like it, but several that did. And so there's it's just kind of, kind of half and half, but the ones that did not like it, didn't like it because it, it creates situations like, uh, uh, well, if I give my love language away, then maybe it'll come back. The, ex- the expectation, the reciprocity there, is really more, more of a business transaction, it's not love. Mm-hmm. And there was a problem there. Or if I told someone what my love language was, as Dr. Chapman suggests, if I tell people what my love language is, and then what if they don't deliver? It's, you're gonna get to this little whiny pity party that says, well, I told you how to love me, why aren't you doing it?" And, and it's just in unintentional that Dr. Chapman, just he didn't create that on purpose, But it just creates that type of situation. This way, every individual is determined to love and send love out all day, every day. And it's just different. And it's to everybody. I don't know, Trav, anybody, anybody that is with their their significant other 24-7. In fact, I probably don't know anybody that wants to be with their significant other (laughs) 24-7. I mean, you want that break occasionally. I mean, and and, that, and there are very happy couples that, out there, very, very happy people out there that are with them 24-7, uh, poss- as much as they can be, but they all still need a break. So with that, I thought, it almost, almost seems like a part-time job to mm-hmm. love if, it, if it's only geared towards your significant other. That's why, as I'm single, I didn't have a significant other. I had to apply it to everybody, everybody I came in contact with. And for a character trait to build that character trait of being a loving person, it's a better way. It absolutely is a better way to make that choice and just make, make the choice once and then keep practicing, keep stretching that muscle, keep strengthening that muscle to just automatically love all day long.
1: Absolutely. I think to your point it's cuz when i first saw it and heard about it my brain instantly was like oh that can help my relationship but the more i've talked to you and got a better understanding of the die and the concept of everything it seems to me it can be kind of like a, a fun exercise to do just to improve your people skills in general you know and and who doesn't love to receive the things that makes them feel good if it's you know words of affirmation or if it's you know gifts or touch and well you probably have to be careful with the touch you don't want to go up touching strangers you might get slapped um but you know (laughs) to yeah yeah exactly high High five five, fist bump yeah (laughs)
0: the the complicated handshakes or the pat on the back above the waist
1: yeah 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 exactly um So, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I appreciate you providing that insight, because like I said, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is something my wife and I can use. And, you know, it's funny you had mentioned uh, that if you even so much as look cross-eyed at your sisters, then you would have gotten it. Um, And that instantly I thought of because I have an 18-month-old daughter and a six-year-old son. And I, I'm pretty much let my son do generally speaking, whatever he wants, as long as he doesn't hurt himself. Um, And he knows I I have two rules, two rules in the house. The first rule is we love and respect mom. And the second rule is we love and respect our sister. Other than that, you can get away with whatever, if you're angry, because I understand he's six, his brain's not developed. So he can't just logically control his anger. When he gets angry, if he needs to lash it out at someone, I'm his guy, he can, he can come to me and we can talk about it and he can let me tell me what's on his mind, but we can't be mean and, and nasty to mom and sister. So that's what I thought about when you said that I'm like, Oh, I kind of have that too. That's, that's literally the only rule I have for my son is we, you know, the women in the house and women in general, we love and respect. So, um, I love that. yes, yeah, sir. I I try to, uh, cause my dad had a million rules, um, and if I didn't abide by them, I found out very quickly that I was breaking them. So I, uh, I tried to give him a little more free reign because, you know, growing up and it's not my dad's fault. He didn't know that this was happening, but I literally felt like I had to walk on eggshells in the house that I lived in all the time. And that's not really a fun way to grow up. So, you know, and it's funny because later in life, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that my dad's still here with me, um, talking with him about some of this stuff, like he looks at me like. I had no idea. Like I had no idea that it was impacting you that way. I had no idea I was even doing some of these things, you know, because he was a business owner and he had seven kids himself. So he was busy as could be. Um, I'm, and I'm right in the middle. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that to your point, the generational, you just, I, my goal is to give my children a better upbringing than I had. And that was my dad's goal. He wanted to give his kids a better upbringing than he had. And, you know, it's it's funny that well, it's not funny, but it's it's interesting the way that we have those similarities. Um, but anyways, let's get back to your uh, your die and book a little bit. Um, do you mind sharing where um, how people can get this if they that's something they want to do?
0: Yeah, so right now I've got it on special, Trav. It's a, I've got a bundle package that you can get the journal, the die, and and the book all for twenty nine ninety five. It's a whole lot less than even one session of therapy but it's going to help you every single day. Therapy only lasts, you know, one session will last one time. And hopefully if there's any change that comes from that, usually people have more than one session. This is a great help between sessions of therapy too, but they can find it all at my website, rolloflove.com. I did a play on words. You roll the die, R-O-L-L, the die outside of you. The change that happens within is R-O-L-E. So it changes your role. So it's R-O-L-E of love.com.
1: Okay. I like that. R-O-L-E of love.com. Understood. You do. I appreciate that. Um, And I really, I guess I just have a a couple more questions if you don't mind. Um, One, I'm curious if there was, and forgive me if you had mentioned this, I didn't catch it if you did. Um, Was there any particular reason that you chose a die instead of playing cards or anything like that?
0: Um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I thought that with five love languages, I just had to figure out what to do for the other side on the die. Mm-hmm. that was that was easy. If I did it on playing cards, you know, if it's like the regular playing cards, it'd just be the back of the cards. I don't think that that would have that same interaction that we're that we're looking for. and that same uh, uh, that same uh, excitement. what What's it gonna be today as you're rolling the die? what's going to be my intention today and i i really felt like the die was the appropriate choice for for that i mean i could probably go into uh cards like like when we had the war with iran they had cards that had the the back of the card was was all the all these criminals and so you're getting to know what the criminals look like and i think that we as we practice the love with the die each day we're getting an idea what each genre of love looks like Mm -hmm. and that's how you become familiar with it that's how you can see it when it comes your way i think that the choice of the die was was the better choice i never thought about cards but but i I like the choice i made
1: yeah no absolutely i i would agree it it makes a lot of sense and you know it's it's like to your point it's very simple you don't have to flip through a deck of cards and all of that but um uh question do you have like examples of how to display or how to show this act of love like with when you roll like in in your book do you say hey if you get you know words here's some examples of what you could say do do you do any of that
0: absolutely i've got on on that website i've got a book that i wrote probably about six or seven years ago as well that it's 101 ways to express love Uh, and it's just just a very short ebook Mm -hmm. and that's is only 99 cents on Amazon, and that, that if you find that book, it gives about 20, 20 different suggestions in each genre of what, what to do for each one of the love languages, and I think Dr. Chapman's book is very useful in that regard as well. He has a lot of suggestions of what the, what the love language looks like, and I'm not strained from that principle that he had that way at all, and I think that we just need to work with it and make sure that that we know all the love languages because that's really going to help the communication. And that's the whole idea of it. I wanted to make it simple. And I think that the rolling the die takes two seconds. Playing a card game could take a lot longer. Sure. So I just wanted to make make it simple and uh, and make it easy to, to think of things to do. You know, there's an example of a couple that he knew that she did not like gifts and uh, he, he knew that she liked words. So one day he rolls the die and he it was gifts. He said, now, how am I going to, what am I going to do for my significant other? What am I going to do for my wife? And he thought, oh, I'll write her a note and I'll put it in a package. She was absolutely delighted to get a note, to get the words from her mm-hmm. husband that way. And so I think you just need to put your thinking cap on a little bit, allow for some inspiration, allows for some creativity, and then just... I'm I'm not going to put any restrictions on it. If I make uh, restrictive suggestions, then people will be kind of kind of pigeonholed. I don't want that ever to happen. I want people to use their own their own imagination to really make this happen for themselves and make it happen for the people that they're in contact with. Absolutely,
1: that that makes it more more personable Absolutely. for their relationship or for the the type of engagement they're having, and that kind of led me to. You somewhat answered it, but I'll ask it anyways. Uh, the next question I have for you is, do you have any, let's say, advice or tips for someone if they roll on one day and they get something that they might not be comfortable doing or you know they don't know how to go about doing it? Do you have any any advice or motivation or anything that you could share on
0: that? Absolutely. I, I'm on the smiling Trav, because I, I have a, a son that just hates it when he rolls gifts. I mean, he, he wrote gifts one day, one day. He told me he wrote gifts once, and he says, "I'm not doing that." Rolled it again. Said there was gifts again. Rolled it the third time. Said ah, and then rolled it the fourth time. It was gifts. He says, "I guess I'm doing gifts today." This didn't does not like the giving of gifts, and it's just one of those things you'll have you it, you'll be out of your comfort zone. Absolutely, you will be out of your comfort zone when it's not your primary love language. Mm -hmm. And, and, but we just, we just need to get exercised in that way. Once we get past that learning curve and understand, well, what does that mean? What's that look like? Once we get past that, it's going to be a whole lot easier. I think just the the whole idea that, well, I have to go buy something that's for a gift as it relates to a gift. is is not true because, because that gift uh, icon actually kind of overlaps service you could give a gift of service. Mm-hmm. Give It overlaps time. You can get a, give a gift of your time. It'll overlaps, it overlaps overlaps words. You could give a gift of a poem or something like that. You can do all those things with, with a gift. It doesn't have to be something that you actually per- purchase. So I think this overcome the barriers, excuse me, that might be out there that would prevent you from doing that particular one that day. Just try it. Just try it and see see if you can light anybody up in genuine genuinely giving what the die says. And I think if you start playing with the die and I'm not doing that, and you roll it again, roll it again, roll it again, it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. What you really want to do is just learn all the love languages, learn and watch people react. Because if you're only giving out one thing every single day, you're only gonna, you're only gonna like physical touch. You're only gonna touch the other people that really have that primary love language of physical touch. But what about all those other people? What about the other eighty percent of the people out there that have a different love language, or eighty di- percent, you know, they're just different. They have the touch. They have the the gifts that they might have just other love languages. How you how are you gonna touch those people? And I think this really uh, is random enough. That at any point in time for within a week's period of time you're actually touching everybody in an employment setting or in your family setting or just in your church group setting whatever setting you'll have the opportunity to touch them one way or another within that week's period of time
1: good deal i appreciate that That, that's what i was the only thing i could think of is you, some, you just got to put yourself out there and, and try it and try to make it fun. Now, that, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Good do I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I know you're obviously an author and you've clearly you're well read in various books. And so I, a question that I typically ask every guest um, is for any type of, you know, a few three, four, two, however many book recommendations you may have or books that have profoundly impacted your life. Um, but I could kind of put a spin on it a little bit and, or you can, you can answer that question. But since we're talking a lot about communication and love language, do you have any books that you would recommend aside from, or you can, and can include the five love languages as well as yours, if you so choose, um, that you took a lot away from in your development of overcoming all of the things that you've overcome in life to get to where you are today.
0: I can't say that. Trav, that I really took away from a lot of other books to get to where I'm at today, except for the love languages, obviously, because I really like the principles there. Mm-hmm. And when I read a book, Trav, I'm looking for principles. I'm looking for something that may not change. And I, and I, and I did that only because I, I disliked when the rules changed. And I'm, I'm trying to be obedient as I can as a child and obey the rules so I stay out of trouble. So I don't get that whipping. I don't get that spanking at the end of the week. I'm trying to stay out of trouble as much as possible. So I like things that don't change. And to me, principles don't change. So I'm looking for principle, uh, uh principle leader leadership, principled, uh, just anything that has to do with principles. Some principles that I can learn so that I can apply to my life that won't change. Once I've got it, I've got it. And and I can practice it and it just makes me a better human being. If things are changing, I might be good one day and I might be bad the next day. And, right. and I, I don't like that type of, of flip-flopping. I'm trying to learn something. I feel like I'm wasting my time here on earth that way. So it's it's principle-based. And it might sound very funny, but one of the one of the funniest books and, and the best books that I that I picked up when my children were small was the Frog and Toad series. If you want me to recommend a book for your children, Frog and Toad is the very best. It's about seren- uh, some serendipitous incidences that you'll understand the adult humor, but the kids absolutely loved the the humor that they could understand for themselves. And it's just the Frog and Toad series. And, and if you if you want a, a great series, it's great. I even read it to some adult friends that I have when i was dating i'd read it to the the girl i was dating and it was just kind of just a fun fun little little antidote little stories that that you can go through a child's book but it has great impact on on how you live your life as an adult
1: interesting interesting there's another book that's um, a child's book i can't remember the exact name of it but it's like the the fox the horse and and something else the hound maybe um that has a lot of um, allegories and parables about life and things mm-hmm. like that and i've i've seen a few snippets of it and i've heard a lot of people i listen to a lot of interviews of you know people that i look up to and i i try to strive for what they may have have obtained in life um and the, a few people that i've i follow have recommended this book i'm drawing a blank on the name of it but it's interesting you brought up a child's book cuz there's a lot that you can learn as an adult in these children's books. Um, are you familiar with the TV show Bluey at all? Have you ever heard of it? I'm not. I would imagine not. It's something that's fairly new. Um, it's one of my kids. My six year old loves it, as does my eighteen month old. And the prim- It's a family of four dogs. Um, mom, dad, two sisters, and you think all of this is geared towards the children, but each episode has this almost deep underlying meaning for the parents on how to navigate certain situations. So I'll watch an episode, and then I'll, at the end of it, I'll have the revelation of what was actually going on. So I'll go back and watch it again. And each episode's only like seven to 10 minutes. Um, and there's, I've learned a lot about being a parent and just, you know, how to have a good mindset as a human from this children's show. And it's pretty interesting. So thank you for recommending the kids book. Cause I don't ever get a chance to talk about what I do with my children on here that much. So I appreciate it. But, um, so, do you have anything else that you want to share before we part ways? If you want to tell people where they can follow you on social media, things like that as well.
0: Sure, it's really, really easy. It's it's on Facebook, it's Roll of Love Dice, Instagram Roll of Love Dice, and and on LinkedIn it's Roll of Love Dice. So it's the same on on all the social platforms. Just Roll of Love Dice. You look that up, you'll be able to find me. Um, the last thing I want to just say is that we're talking about languages. We're talking about specific love languages. But there's a, a dialect in northern India called the Sanskrit dialect. From that Sanskrit dialect, we get the words like Nirvana, we get Karma. But the one I want to talk about today is Namaste. At the end of every yoga class, they put their head. The teacher will put their heads together and bow their head, close their eyes, and, and say Namaste. Doesn't mean hey y'all, class is all over right now. You can go. Doesn't mean that. The Hindu interpretation of that means the God in me sees the God in you. Or put another way, the divine in me sees the divine in you. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. We're trying to look for the good of other people. You know, I had an interview last week with a, a podcaster from India. And I, I, you know, he's 39 years old and I just asked the stupidest question, but I didn't realize it was such a stupid question till I asked it. And I asked it, what is it with your people? How come they're so nice to each other? How come there's such a such a peaceful feeling whenever you talk with someone from India? And and I said, is it is it because of Gandhi? Is it because of Mother Teresa? This is, these are that's like me asking you, Trav. Well, what do you think about JFK and all the good that he did on this earth when he was on this earth? It's before your time period. This is before his time period. And it's not not even relevant today. What was relevant and what he said is that in the places of worship, we teach people to watch for the good of others and to refine the bad in ourselves. In, In America, the media would teach you watch for the bad in other people and then just step back and say, oh, I'm a lot better than that and think you're you're so good you don't have to do anything to change but we're watching for the bad in other people total opposite absolutely the opposite and i thought that was very significant that really that's what we're trying to accomplish watch for the good in others and then refine the bad in ourselves
1: that's very powerful i appreciate you sharing that i, I think that's a, a great spot for us to end that's um I yeah, know yeah i really appreciate that that's very profound stuff right there and that's I love how you put that where we're trying to find the divine in one another. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. All righty. Well, yep. guys, thank it, you, yeah. Trump. it's
0: been a pleasure. A- to your show.
1: Absolutely guys. If you enjoyed this content, if you want to get the role of love die, you know where to find it. Roleoflove.com R O L E of love.com. I uh, think, Thank you again, Paul, for your time. Very much appreciated. And guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, very much appreciated. Until next time, y'all take care.